and welcome to What in Tarnation, a Tar Heel Hot Take podcast. On this episode, we're discussing a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde week for UNC basketball. I'm Tanya Anderson, and with me as always are Brandon Anderson and Julius Emanuel. Guys, what what are we going to do with this team? Sell them. <laughs> I don't think that's allowed. Trade them. I don't know that that's allowed. Can we start a GoFundMe to like encourage certain players to explore <laughs> other opportunities? That's crazy. <laughs> but probably a thing that we can do. Um, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. He's not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this team is so frustrating because. Um, After the Clemson game on Saturday, things seemed like there might be some hope. Um, Carolina looked really good. They had a very solid shooting day. Um, They beat Clemson by 20, um, despite the fact that Clemson was on top of the ACC. Cliche, cliche, everything was better when the ball was in the basket, cliche, cliche, but truly they looked like a team that we not only expected to have this season, but a team that could compete in March, and we got to enjoy that for like 48 hours uh, before the Miami game came along and squashed all of those hopes and dreams squashes so rapidly that i'm like do how much is it even worth going into the clemson game but i mean not much yeah but like you know let's just do the rundown here i mean carolina shot 45 percent from three which is crazy for them it's insane i don't understand how they were that efficient but they were um Caleb Love looked much better shooting the ball. He was a very efficient Caleb Love, which we have not seen much um, this season. Yeah. And, like, his field goal numbers, I mean, you would – 12 is a lot for a college player. But for him, that's actually pretty low. Um, But 7 of 12 from the field, 6 of 9 from 3. R.J. Davis, not too far off from Caleb's efficiency, 5 of 12 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3. Pete Nance was really the only person that shot more than one three and struggled. Um, Which, I mean, they did all of that with one of their starters not scoring. Right. And it, you know wasn't leaky even though leaky's you know not a non-score but you know you usually look at him to be sort of not the option you go to for points but he had a much better game than Nance did right I'm glad it was 48 hours of celebration for someone because (laughs) I was almost immediately concerned about Monday night. And as I told both of you, and Tanya was you know, like, oh my God, I have broken you. I was like, it's uh, For me, it was kind of uh, 
and I kind of thought this going into the game, and I really don't understand it, is as if this team needs something to play for other than a win. Yeah. And, you know, like it takes a player's only, and I, I'm, I'm guessing two now, according to the reports that we heard, um, you know, one before Thursday's practice and then another one after, or um, right as it concluded. I don't understand how after last season, how we have gotten to this point where that is necessary. And I don't think I understand how, again, how, how you need something to play for other than uh, either a win or the jersey, you know, the, the name on the jersey that you're wearing. Also, I don't understand. Have we even podcasted since the absolute abomination in Winston-Salem? I don't. No, probably not. I can't remember. I don't think, yeah, I don't think we did. I don't think we did, which, like, that was horrible. Yeah. That was embarrassing, quite frankly. Um, Not to go too far back, because obviously... um, we could we could dissect things all day long if we wanted, but um, to have that game in Winston Salem where they were flat out run out of the building in the first half looked to say overmatched is like an understatement. Um, they worked themselves into like I think it was a twenty six point deficit. Um, I don't I I didn't feel warm fuzzies about their second half. Um you scored 60 points in the second half and still lost, which is just a uh, a shining example of how bad you played in the first half. But to go from that to the Clemson game felt like whiplash and then to go from the Clemson game to the Miami game felt like whiplash back the other direction. And so that's why I um, I remind everyone that it is still statistically possible, right? We, it, you know, we've got our upcoming game. Um, we're still in the conversation, but I just, I don't feel great. Like we're this late into the, into the season. The questions that we have are typically what you would have of like a new ish team early in the season, right? Like, for us to be experiencing this this late, and like uh, everyone, myself included, likes to compare how we were um, at this point to last season. At times, I thought that we were in a better position than last season at this time, even given what we did against Wake Forest. But now I don't think so. Like I, I you know, it's and it's because of the inconsistencies. It's because of they need something. Um, else to play for, and and look, I'm I'm not I'm really not saying that they can't get into the tournament and kind of do the same thing. That would that would be nuts to say that they can't because they could. Like I, I would expect that to happen, but now it's a point of you need to get into the tournament. Yeah, I think they truly caught lightning in a bottle last season. I think that um, the big difference that I've noticed with this team is. I mean, there's the elephant in the room. The guy that's re- that replaced Manic just hasn't been good. I think we can all agree that objectively he has been a pretty big letdown. 
he's not the only problem with this team, of course, but... It's hard to replace a guy that you relied on for consistent offense with another guy that you can't rely on for offense when the other people are also struggling to shoot. Right. And I think, so somebody on Twitter said something today that made me short circuit a little bit. And I think it's relevant to this. He was saying that um, he, he basically made it sound like Hubert Davis doesn't call plays for this team. And I feel like at times that I felt that way, but I feel like realistically what this, the problem with this team is just that it doesn't really matter what they run. They can't shoot. I mean, Clemson gave UNC those shots. They just happened to make them that day. Miami gave them the same shots. They missed a buttload of them. Buddy, when you tiptoe to the line with one hand on the ball that you feel comfortable doing and you still miss it without it being touched by anyone else, yeah, you, it doesn't matter what draw, what play you draw up if you can't execute, which they frequently have. Like I even said that though that we should probably patent these scoring droughts that we have because we'll go on these five, six, seven minute scoring droughts in the game, and it's like every game after even even the Clemson game, we still had scoring droughts, but we were actually making them, you know, to to end those. But it's kind of crazy. I think the thing with the Miami game. That is just absolutely brutal to me is if they shoot merely badly from three, they win. Yeah. But they couldn't even muster merely bad. It was atrocious, awful, terrible. Was it 16%? Yeah, 16% from three. Five of 31? Yep. Like, I don't know why you shot that many with that few going in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and weren't like, maybe I'll try. And that was another thing was, like, they were extremely efficient on their two-point field goals. Yep. Like, extremely efficient. But the problem was that they shot so many threes and couldn't buy one. And I just don't know why there's not like a, huh, when I don't pull up from three, they're going in more often than not, but when I pull up from three, they're just not at all. And that that is not a realization that happens at any point. Well, and that's all without getting into the fact that Miami beat them in their own game and won the free throw battle because, and we talked about this when it was coming up with like the state game and all this stuff where I think I said something in the realm of you can't make that your entire offense. That is a very bad idea. Well, this is why it's a bad idea, because Miami shot 26 free throws. They made 22 of them. UNC shot 15. They made nine of them. And then that's... I mean, that's another problem. If if you're going to make your strategy drawing fouls and getting to the free throw line, 
by God, please make them. And get to the free throw line more. I mean, Miami is a smaller team than UNC. And I mean, it, like Leaky is 6'9". <laughs> not according to Corey Alexander, he's not. <laughs> right. I don't know what his problem is with all that. But Baycott is 6'11". I mean, he should have been cleaning the boards like it was his job, and he had four rebounds? I don't even understand that one. And that equated to not that many second chance points. I mean, UNC and Miami were tied at 14. And so, like, there's just a lot of little things from that game that it's just like, you did this before, what happened? You've done this before, what happened? You've done this before, what happened? And I feel like that's been every game to some degree because I feel like everything has felt very fluid with this team, and which is just a fancy way to say inconsistent. Yeah, I just, to Armando's credit, like, you can't, or you shouldn't, I know he's a great talent, but you should not expect him to be able to play through every double team like that. Especially when he's not getting any help yeah. from anybody else. And, you know, so unfortunate, unfortunately for him, you know, getting battered and beat game after game, you know, you know he's going to have a one-off like that, right? Uh, especially when the game the game, game plan is to attack you because they know nobody else is going to score. Right. Um, but I don't know. I just – I wish he had – I wish he had some consistent help. And at this point – I'm not even blaming Pete Nance because no one else is consistently doing anything either. And, and not only that, you have people that are taking, that are making decisions that are detrimental to the team continue. And this is a running theme that we, I think we talked about this well after the college of Charleston game like earlier in the season. Um, this has just been a thing that, that happens. And like, when you're doing this, Definitely understand, like, if if you were 50%, 45-50% from three, you know, overall, cool, pull up from wherever you want to and try. But if you're not, and not only do you do that, but we recognize that when that happens, you it leads to a run out. We were saying this months ago. Now it's actually being said on broadcast and in podcast, right? I'm like, well, welcome to the party because we've been saying this for months kind of thing. I just I don't understand where, why the lack of recognition or the lack of acknowledgement there because you're just you're you're hurting your team like I mean you're not only not helping them but you're actively hurting them and I just I don't get it. I posed a new rule. I think it was either one or two podcasts ago that until you are shooting fifty percent from three for the game, you are not allowed to pull up. Four or three. Um, I would like to enforce that a little stronger going forward because I I feel like it is actually an inspired rule. Um, You shouldn't be two of 12 from three. Like... (laughs) You absolutely should be banned from shooting off the dribble, which I feel like murders this team. Not everybody. It's an unforced decision. Yeah. That just is not like there are fine three point shots that don't go in. And then there are really bad three point shots that don't go in. And 10 10 or fewer seconds into the shot clock, off the dribble, 
when you like barely got around a screen, that's probably not it. And like the Clemson game is a perfect example of how when you actually are doing that, they look so much better. I mean, they had 17 assists against Clemson. Against Miami, they had six. Mm-hmm. Those assists were because people were catching and shooting or they were getting it to Baycott. Those are the two things that you need to be like really doing to win these games and they're just not doing it. And like, I will say with the Miami game, the one thing that I noticed and it's like partially giving Miami credit, but also it, it's a criticism of the backcourt is in the second half, they were blitzing the pick and roll like nobody's business. And while that's all fun and great, I know that's a good defensive strategy if you have a backcourt like ours, but like that's the problem is like you have to be able to work around that. Usually when that happens, the big man's open because they've rolled to the paint. So if you need to kick it around to get it to them, do it. But like you can't just hold it and then turn it over because that's what happened a lot. And I think that is the problem that makes people say stuff like Hubert doesn't run plays. Yeah. Because I feel like he calls a play, but they abandon it very quickly in favor of, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And it's a mess. Yeah. Um, that's not That's not a play calling problem. That's a not having the poise to see it through and just immediately hitting like the eject button Yeah. when like, you know, there you, you have to like be a quarterback that's willing to like let people finish their routes and that kind of thing. Um, pulling all kinds of metaphors here, but like, <laughs> You can't just immediately say, like, oh, what we were supposed to do isn't there, so I'm going to chuck it. Yeah. The only thing that I'll fault Hubert for is at least what he says publicly when he says that, you know, he can't get on these guys, like he loves these guys, and I'm like, sir, that's not working. Sometimes you need tough love. You can still love them and tell them that – they're underperforming if they didn't already know that. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) I said that I did not really think that the, um, it's not the destination. It's the journey. Live, laugh, love coaching mantra was going to be an effective one. Um, you know, I think you can be somewhere in between. I'm, taking away your team gear and like we're just happy to be here um have we reached the point where we just need to try that like can we (laughs) i mean what we're doing is not working um but like i feel like you can you can be somewhere in between those things like you don't have to be the like unloving 
sort of like dictator. Yeah. But you also need to demand accountability when you know your team is better than they're showing. And I just don't feel like there's been a ton of that that I can see. I'm going to say something and I'm just going to leave it up for interpretation because I think I even said this in our Slack when, um, when you said something about the whole, like, you know, live, laugh, love thing. Um, I think that what is interesting about this roster is that most of the starters were both here for Roy Williams and Hubert Davis. And I would argue that they both have their own unique coaching style. And it seems like, to me, neither styles are clicking in the way that you would hope it would for some McDonald's All-Americans. And I'm going to leave it there. I mean, I guess the... The thing that I will say about that is Roy Williams's way worked for 93 years up until this came along. The jury's still out on Hubert's way because yep. we don't have any prior experience of him as a head coach. We have last year, which looks to be more fluke than... Uh, repeatable thing. Um, I just hope that, like, I I know that they've said, like, Hubert never swears and all of that. Um, Which you shouldn't need to. And you, you don't, but I also feel, and Julius and I kind of talked about this um, in that first, I think it was the post-Wake Forest meeting that happened um, where they all stayed in the locker room for like more than 30 minutes. But um, Bubba and Kirshner were in the locker room during that meeting. And we sort of wondered amongst ourselves whether that was sort of a somebody has to say something yeah um and that's me speculating i don't know but um i i just hope that we can be like it has to be more than hobby lobby coaching yeah. your coaching can't go on a sign <laughs> for 50 percent off every other week so I'll okay yeah and I'll agree with what Brandon said because I've also thought that too and I'll just say that when I say that um I fought Hubert I am talking specifically to this group to these starters I'm not you know hopefully with you know Ian Jackson um and the recruits that he's recruiting or the kind of players that are going to respond to him I hate to say that maybe would all benefit from a clean slate because it's not like I'm trying to be like, well, we don't need you know certain people, but you know when there's a transition, even though Hubert was in on the recruiting um, for you know this entire team, 
still a coaching transition, so obviously there are going to be some um, holdovers and some some awkward moments kind of thing. I am curious or maybe anxious at this point to see what happens when Hebert has the guys that he recruits and see if this is still a running theme. Because, yeah, like the the one thing that's constant is uh, it's the second head coach and we're still having the same uh, lack of performance issues. Yeah. And, like, I think one thing that is missing from this team, and I almost don't even want to say it because, like, I feel as though Baycott is the closest to this. One could argue that he is this, and I cannot really argue it definitively. But I feel like this team's just missing somebody with some dog in them. Like, we we had Joel Berry on the national championship team a few years ago, he had that dog in him. When Marcus, like when the 2016 team made it, like Bryce Johnson, he had that dog in him. Marcus Page really did too, honestly. Ty Lawson, Tyler Hansborough. We were talking about this when we were watching the Tyler Hansborough um, ACC network Mm -hmm. thing uh, on Saturday where I think Baycott is the closest thing. Yeah. That we have to that, but like Tyler Hansborough would rather walk through fire on nails than to lose. Yeah. And I just don't see that same level with the majority of this team. And I don't understand that because it's just like, why are you okay with losing? Well, see, I thought it was going to be R.J. Davis. I don't know. Like, I have no reason to have thought that. But I just had this feeling like this season, I was just like, this is going to be where R.J. Davis decides, like, you know what? This is my team and I'm going to run with it. And that didn't happen. I thought that we would see that from Caleb when he got on campus. That didn't happen. And there's just been a lot of like, I think it might be. No, I think it might be. No. And like to be fair, they they found a puppy and adopted it for the NCAA tournament last year. They they stuck it under their shirt and they're like, "See, we got dog in us." Like I, I I respect it, but I don't know. I hope that somebody will dig into that part of themselves to finish out the season. I don't know if it'll happen. I hope. In the next year or two, we can find somebody with that. Because, I mean, that's important when it comes again to the national championship. Like, if that's your goal, I mean, you you have to have that. And I guess um, if there is a shining example of a place to have that, their game on Sunday would be a very fine place to find a bit of dog. Especially when you're walking into a wolf's den. That was was the worst thing that I've ever said on this podcast, and I'm sorry. Oh, Lord. Um, (laughs) No. So, But here's the thing, though. I actually feel more comfortable about Saturday than I did about the Miami game. Because here we are back to this, 
you know, they've got the noise going, they've got the resistance, you know, theoretically. I mean, I don't think they've called a, a players only meeting again. But um, there's there's some resistance there, right? There's there's something other than just playing for a win. So not not I'm not saying that they're going to, to win in Raleigh, but I feel better about it than I did um, hosting Miami just for that fact. Yeah, I think when UNC plays with a purpose, they play cleaner basketball than the state does. I feel like they're going to be amped up because everybody's been trying to amp them up because they want this to be some epic revenge game. Um, Them being amped up when they came to the Dean Dome didn't go so well for them. That's how they got into foul trouble. Um, I will say that I don't know that you can... Not suppress isn't the right word. I don't know that you can contain... Turquavian Smith as well as you did last time if I had to take a guess I feel like he's just too good so you really have to find a way to not do the things you were doing poorly before poorly in this game because everything's gonna matter yeah I I worry from the perspective that I shared before the last state game, which is just losing to that school does something ugly inside me. Yeah. And I don't enjoy it. Um, well, if it's any constellation, I still think they're running with the reps or have to get them narrative. So, yeah, that's yeah. definitely, definitely a thing. I mean, what was it? They were mad last night. Um, for losing to Syracuse. Yeah, because... The refs were uh, the enemy in that one uh-huh. as well. so, maybe, so maybe we'll have a little more of that magic, too. Yeah. Let's hope so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just looking at the rest of Carolina's schedule after Sunday um, at Notre Dame... <sighs> I don't know what to think of that game. They played Duke really close last night. Uh, Carolina's not been good on the road. That's a dangerous situation. Against Virginia at home, I hate that, Um, even with them being better at home this season. Um, At Florida State, that's probably the game that you feel the most – confident in maybe aside from it being on the road or the new, the new bloods the new bloods it also could be the most terrifying game because they are so bad that if you lose that it's over all of it's all of it's done I mean, I'd, I'd still take a gander and say that because I haven't checked bracketology lately I assume Lenardi had them in like the first four out after um, so UNC is last four in right now Okay, so last four in losing to okay, so maybe maybe not, but I just assume from like an optic standpoint and just a projection, um, you know, a forecasting standpoint, if we lose on Saturday, like barring some miracle we're out anyway, um, we don't need to give. Oh goodness gracious! Yeah, there's. I'm a lot just saying. Them. I'm just saying. You lose Saturday, and I don't. Without some type of miracle, I don't see how you can do it. You would have to win the ACC tournament, and that's a risky proposition because it requires a lot of luck, 
and you somehow remembering how to do things every game during that tournament. Do you think if they lose Sunday and win out that that's enough? That would mean beating Virginia. It should be enough. I think... Uh, actually, I want to know Julius's thoughts before I keep going. I think it would. De- I think it would depend on what you do in the ACC tournament at that point. That's fair. Not necessarily saying I'm not saying that you have to win, but you couldn't take an early exit, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, I I feel more confident in them beating State on the road than Virginia at home. I'm going to put on a tinfoil hat for a second and say that <laughs> if they beat Virginia. At home, what the committee might do is they might go back and look at the game that they lost against Virginia and be like, you know what, Baycott didn't even play this one. This could have turned out differently. It could have went just as badly, but maybe we give them the benefit of the doubt and just just squeeze them into the tournament. I think or, it also depends largely on what the other teams in that range do. After that, and can you justify, like, yeah, maybe there's a reason why they lost on the road at Virginia, but if they beat Virginia and do some, like, clunker in the ACC tournament, I feel like you're going to have a hard time squeezing them in. And that's the rub. So losing, and and uh, I guess one of the other reasons why uh, I'm just assuming that if we lose Saturday, that we're kind of done. We're not also trying to prove ourselves. We're dependent on other teams as well mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so, and I just would not, you know, I get it. Carolina is a blue a blue blood, but. Hey, what if the community's also thinking, hey, the Carolina was the number one team in the nation, and now they're down here fighting. They don't actually belong to be here uh, over someone else. Yeah. So we could easily nip this all in the bud and win our next two um, like we should. But, you know, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see whether I'm actually crying. No, not crying because I'm over it. But we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I'm, you know, as – apathetic to the situation this time next week yeah and adding insult to injury uh carolina's lone quad one win is no longer a quad one win because ohio state has gone on and stunk it up so uh thanks for that guys you had one job one job i cannot believe they ended up being as bad as they did it's it's actually offensive to me i mean so millions of people were saying that about us too yeah and that's very true um i will throw this out there the one struggling part about the remainder of the schedule is i don't feel like the duke game will hold nearly as much weight as the other games i mean it, it will definitely hold a good amount of weight, but like I, last year, we benefited from everybody being like Duke was a Final Four team. Like before they actually got there, by the time it was like Coach K's last game in Cameron, people had them on a very high pedestal, and I think that worked to our advantage because you know UNC was hungry, Duke was nervous to succeed on coach k's big night 
and Duke took a dump and UNC benefited from it. So like now it's just like they go, Duke comes to UNC. I think it might be a quad two game as it stands right now. I got to double check. Um, But it, it doesn't have as high of tournament implications unless, unless Duke wins out until they get to that game. And then it might. But, okay, but also look at it from this standpoint too, right? It's a home game and it's the last game of the regular season. Mm-hmm. So I so obviously I don't I don't think it well I don't think I know it doesn't have carry the same weight as last year's did but I still think it's important I don't think that's a loss that you want assuming you're not going to win the ACC tournament which yeah. I think is a safe assumption right now but I mainly meant that like it's definitely not like a bona fide guaranteed switch to flip like they they uh, they have to do some work before that game. Um, there's no way you can lose against like you know you they you got full Virginia Tech. Oh, um, but they play state again right before the Carolina game. Interesting. So <laughs> in theory, let's get routed again. Yeah. Um, also, after after the first game. Um, Miami did them much worse than Miami did UNC. So there's that. And I think it's reasonable to like, and I think I told you this, like Miami's just good. And like, I I think sometimes as Carolina fans, it's hard to like admit that and like deal with the fact that sometimes a team is just better than your team. I feel like on paper before the season started, I probably would have been like, It'll be a really good game, but I think Carolina would win. But, like, going into that Miami game, I was just like, Miami's just better. So UNC's got to play, like, the perfect game to win. Counterpart, counterpoint, they did not. And if Carolina, again, shoots merely bad from three, they beat Miami. Yeah. Which makes it all the more frustrating. And I guess... Miami got what they earned in player roles. So I guess I'll put it that way. Like don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to do the Bayham uh thing here, but you know, we all remember the the tweet back over at the end of the tournament, um, you know, with Wong. So, you know, I wanna say you get what you pay for, but if you're going to go that route, you better do some of the things you're doing this season. Yep. But I guess we will uh, wait and see what happens. Um, I think in a lot of ways, whatever happens Sunday definitely level sets whatever happens the rest of the way. Um, If they lose Sunday, I don't know how much there is. Obviously, there's pride, but... Um, it's going to feel a little bit like the band on the Titanic. You just have to really, really, really hope that you can figure out something, anything by the ACC tournament. And I know I keep bringing that up and I know how hard it is, but also it's literally your only shot if 
we get to postseason and it's looking like you're out of the tournament. But we also talked about this. If you're if you're talking about winning the ACC tournament, it means in my mind staying away from Virginia, mm-hmm. staying away from Miami, mm-hmm. probably staying away from state, mm-hmm. probably staying away from Pitt. There's no way that you are going to do that and therefore I don't feel optimistic. And and well and then also what are what are the odds that we're going to put on winning the ACC tournament and also making a deep run in the NCAA tournament? That's the thing. I feel like at this point, I don't feel good about, like if we get into the NCAA tournament, I don't feel good about them really even making it to the second weekend. We really will just be happy to be there. Yeah. Well, at least at least we'll finally align in those yeah, <laughs> in that mindset. We, we'll be able to put that on a cross stitch. I feel like at this point, making it to the NCAA tournament would be more about keeping the streak alive that was technically broken, but not officially broken because there wasn't an NCAA tournament the year that they did not make it. I'm throwing up air quotes for people uh, listening to the podcast, but and that didn't happen. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. So, like, I feel like that's really the only thing left on the line here because, like, the top of the NCAA is really, really, really good, and UNC is not there. Yeah. Uh, just just show up. Just just finish with pride. That's really what it is. That That's all you need to do at this point. Just finish with pride. I just don't know if that's enough. Again, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling it's like... It's like a really bad reality TV show where you where you need the drama and everything else. And I'm like, no, go hit the court, play like you're supposed to play. Where I guess at this point we're not even begging them to play like they're supposed to. Just playing them to play a little better than what they have been playing so that they can win. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I just I don't get it. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, and you know, maybe they're maybe they're going to make us eat crow. I'd love for them to, like, you know. I'm happy to accept that trade off if if they want to make us look extremely silly for belly aching about them for an hour every week for the last four hundred. Um, that's fine with me, but um, I would rather the black box of the season. Have a happy ending, and you know, we can get they can pull up receipts from this podcast, and they don't listen to this podcast. But if they did, somebody does, somebody <laughs> probably, but it, you know, pull up the receipts, shove them in our faces. I would love that, I truly would, because nobody wants to witness not making the tournament after being preseason number one. That's just bad. If they win Sunday, I feel like we have to dedicate ourselves to a positive vibes only podcast next week for at least one week. Deal. Am I supposed to be sober for this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> podcast under the influence well, to be happy. 
It's a, well, I guess, and the other thing that I would say too is, you know, we also have a fan base that can't differentiate between what you're forecasting and what you're talking about at present, right? Yeah. So it's like, can y'all read? Sometimes on Twitter, I'm like, are you just like, are you just skipping every other word? I like to skim read too, but we put specific things in because you know that when you tweet or you say something, people are going to feel a certain type of way. But you're trying to avoid it just to try to help them out. And they still skip it. Like, oh, well, you should probably delete this because, you know, we're not going to do this at the end of the game. I was like, well, I didn't say this was going to continue. I just said this is what's happening right now. Yeah. These are the perils of having a Twitter account as big as Julius's is where I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't I don't feel this because the only person I complain to is you two. <laughs> and really whenever the THP Twitter is tweeting, it's like lobbing grenades and then just like running. Cause and, and that is honestly like it it's just not fun sometimes, which is why I, I don't do it more anymore. But it, it's much easier to just uh lodge my complaints at you two and keep it pushing. I would help out if Elon Musk would put an edit button because apparently I tweet sloppy. <laughs> Elon, if you're listening to this, put in the edit button. Just do it. If if, uh, if my account was ever hacked, and I think someone's only ever tried to do it once before, but if my account was actually ever hacked and people saw my DMs, I don't know that I could come back from that. Because <laughs> 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 I use my DMs as my springboard to vent so that I can say normal stuff on my Twitter feed. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel that so deeply, though. Because, like, you and I have conversations that I just, I've been getting a little frisky on Twitter, tweeting and stuff, but there's still some things I'm just like, no, this is a DM conversation. (laughs) Sometimes trust just need to stay in the circle of trust. And (laughs) especially when you have, like, five figure followers. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Um,. Yeah, we'll we'll see how how the mission to have a purely positive podcast goes. One positive thing we can mention real quick, shout outs to the women's tennis team. They won the ITA. So Yeah, the the ITA indoor, fourth yeah. straight year. Just racking in the championships. Also shout out to Miss Kayla McPherson. The UNC women's basketball team. She had a career high uh, 22, which is only her fifth game, but she's really, really good. Stepping up when uh, they've been dropping like flies over there. So They're down three starters. I think I heard um, Coach Banghart say she expected to have them back at some, you know, uh, Eva. Alyssa. Alyssa. Who's? Was there a third one? Yeah, there were three. They were missing. But she said they expect, she, uh, expected to have them all back at some point. And I've, if not mistaken, Alyssa was even like dressing out, trying to go on the court. So she her return could be imminent. Um, Let's hope so. Yeah. We have to have one team. 
Yeah, because they're going for the sweep for the first time since 2015 over State. Yeah. Tomorrow night. So. Yeah, that's going to be a big game. And they're a little gym. We will fire the shots for you, Coach Eggmar. Don't worry about it. We got you. Oh, yeah. we are behind you. <laughs> well, would you guys like to tell the people where they can find you until next time? You can find me at THB Brandon. You can find me at UNC underscore Tar Heel fan. You can find me at Tanya underscore underscore Anderson. Till next time, go Heels. Go Heels. Go Heels. <laughs>